I always like to say that it's formation in faith through intentional Christian communities that are guided by Mary. Formation in faith has got to be the important thing that we do. So many times we're narrowed down to community or inclusivity or something like that. And I think it's got to be this formation in faith through intentional communities that are inclusive, that are guided and centered on how Mary made Christ present in the world. Welcome to Sharing Our Mariness Stories, a podcast produced by the North American Center for Mariness Studies in Dayton, Ohio. I'm Mike Bennett, Media Administrator for NACMAS. The Catholic Church celebrates National Vocation Awareness Week during the first week of November each year. In celebration of National Vocation Awareness Week, we sit down with Brother Mark Motes and Sister Rose Rakuba in this episode to hear about their experiences of discerning vowed religious life and living as vowed religious within the Marianist family. A few points of clarification before we jump in. In her introduction, Sister Rose mentions individuals who were influential in her discernment process, specifically Gabby and Caitlin, who were in formation for vowed religious life in the story Sister Rose mentions, and Nicole, which refers to Sister Nicole Trahan, who is a Marianist sister. Brother Mark references Brother Francis Heyer, who, at the time of recording this episode, was the oldest living Marianist. Brother Francis passed away on October 31st, 2023, after 83 years of professed life at the age of 102. Brother Mark also references a lay formation program he participated in, which is a formation program designed to form undergraduate students at the University of Dayton to make a commitment as lay Marianists. If you would like to learn more about vowed religious life as a Marianist brother, priest, or sister, please email the Marianist Vocations Office at vocations at marianist.us. And with that, we'll turn it over to Sister Rose to tell us a little bit about herself and her discernment journey. My name is Sister Rose Rukoba. I am currently in Dayton, Ohio, in the Sisters Annunciation Community House, and I'm a temporary professed now with the Sisters. I met the Sisters when I went to college at UD, and I met them on a discernment retreat at the end of my second year. I met Sister Nicole and Sister Laura, along with a few of the other brothers and Father Ted, and I went into this discernment retreat not really knowing what it was about. I didn't realize that it was for students who were discerning religious life. I just kind of saw that you got to know the sisters and brothers, and I didn't really know them at the time. So I went and uh, we were at Governor's Island, the brothers' property there. And I met Gabby and Caitlin. I remember talking with Gabby about just things we had in common. We both loved Harry Potter and Gilmore Girls, and we had both been English majors. She recommended a lot of good professors and classes for me. So I was kind of like, oh, that's, you know, that's cool. The sisters are really similar to me. And then I went on what we call an Emmaus walk or like a one-on-one -on -one walk with Nicole. And we just kind of talked about theater because we both love like theater and musicals. And so it was more just like, oh, they're 
very similar to me. And I left feeling interested in the sisters, but still overwhelmed by the fact that I could join. And I, I remember telling Sister Nicole that like, I don't really feel like this is for me, but this has been a fun weekend. And she's like, that's okay. You should keep in touch. And then kind of over that summer, I was here on, on campus in Dayton. I was uh, working on my honors thesis and just really started to feel that little nudge from God, that little tap on the shoulder, and really utilized all the things on campus. It went to adoration a lot, and that kind of started an intense period of just personal prayer and personal reflection on, is this something I could really see myself doing, entering religious life? And then when school started up again, in the fall, I did eventually learn that I could ask the brothers and sisters for help and get mentoring from them. So then Sister Nicole became my unofficial spiritual director. And I kept in touch, continued to discern until I graduated. And then I went to her when I was about to graduate. And I was like, I don't really know what to do. I can't find a job in Chicago that I really like. And I also don't want to stop being in touch with the sisters. So she said, I should really think about doing a year of service, a year of volunteering. That's what a lot of young adults do when they kind of need a gap year to think about things. So I applied and got into Amate House, which is in Chicago. So I went back and through the Archdiocese of Chicago, I work at a retreat center for high school and college students for nine months. And just during that time decided I really wanted to jump in the deep end and apply for pre-novitiate with the sisters. So starting in December of 2019, when I started the process and then I entered in July of 2020. It's interesting now looking back at my vocation story as vocation director, because everyone's looking for trumpets and night visions, and I don't have those necessarily. I'm not not saying that God couldn't call with trumpets and night visions, but for me, I don't think I heard those, and I don't doubt my vocation any more than someone that heard those. So I look back and I see nudges, kicks, whispers, those types of things. Not as many kicks as I probably would have liked. I met my first Marianist at six days old. I was born in November of 1987, and my uncle was a novice at the Mount St. John property. And my mom happened to be bringing me for a walk at the same time that my uncle was out on the property. The novitiate is more of a protected time where you're a little away from family and friends. And so... You know, we happen to run into each other, whether that was an intentional accident or not, I'm not sure, and I'll never admit. But I met my first Marianist at six days old. I went to Marianist High School. I went to Marianist University. I was raised Marianist. So I entered formation knowing that I was going to be within this charism in some way. And I had to discern was it as a lay member or as a valid member. And A.J. Wagner told me, well, why don't you do both? And I have done that ever since then. You know, in both of those communities, types of communities, and I have been for most of my life. For me, it was a very practical, I know enough that I have to try this. And I've been trying it for the last 13 years and I'm still here. That's great. Yeah, that's uh, probably a unique dynamic to meet your first Marianist so young. <laughs> Having heard a little bit about your discernment processes, I'm curious why Marianists? There's obviously a lot of different orders, congregations, dioceses out there. Is there something specifically about the Marianists that struck you or drew you in? Yes, for sure. You join what you know, and I knew the Marianists. That's a big part of it. But I also wanted to look at other vocations, other 
communities to get a sense of who they were. And I think the Marians have a good balance of what I call the internal and the external expressions of faith. So the internal being retreats, prayer, devotionals, those types of things. The external being social justice, solidarity. So there was a good balance of both in my life. And I found that within the Marianist family. For me, I like to tell people now I got a little bit of Marianist tunnel vision where I I was just kind of like, well, why wouldn't I join the Marianists? Because obviously I know them. I had a little bit of a period where I was able to at least see different orders when I was doing my year of service in Chicago, which is such like a connecting space for Catholics and religious orders. I got to see the Franciscan sisters and and the Sisters of the Precious Blood. I can't even name all the ones I saw and was connected with. I just got to know so many different kinds of sisters and how they lived, but none of them drew me in enough to want to find out more exactly. I was still like, well, that's a beautiful way of life or that's a beautiful way of prayer, but I'm obviously still going back to Dayton to join the Mariness. I can't quite put my finger on what that magical element is still all these years later, but I think the community aspect was a, a big one and how the three branches of the Marianists are, are in community with one another. I wanted a model of, of living and of being that was more than just roommates, but was something more like holistic than like a partner. So so the community aspect was huge. And now that I've seen how other orders of sisters live on their own, I really value that the Marianists value community. I'm curious if there are ways your experience with Amate House informed your commitment and vow to the sisters. Yeah, definitely just felt so much affirmation and love um, for my discernment during that year. And that continues. I think the most like tangible example is that uh, four of them were able to come visit me and be present at my vows mass. And we got to host three of them overnight. And one of them read at, at my vows mass. So so they're like physically supporting me still, even though there's a, a few of them that still live in Chicago, but mostly we're kind of all over the map. So that's very affirming. I continue to learn from that experience. And it, it did give me a lot of good skills for when I do have to work with UD college students or CJ high school students, those skills are there. So I hear you saying that time kind of helped you develop some of those skills and learn about yourself in ways that then empowered you to kind of seek out the different dynamics of the sisters or uh, of what that life as a vowed religious would look like. Yeah. And definitely when the question came up with Laura, when we do our second year of novitiate is more ministry based, she was like, basically, what do you want to do? And I kind of had to be ready to come with ideas. And I was like, Hispanic ministry is somewhere I'm leaning. And now a year and a half later, I'm doing exactly what I wanted, which is a gift. So yeah, just kind of having that sense of self was was good to have. Brother Mark, I'm curious if there were influential experiences you had that impacted your discernment to become a Marianist brother or empowered you to, to embrace that commitment. 
there were a lot of experiences that I had to help empower me to want to become a brother or at least explore that. I did lay formation as a student at the University of Dayton. And I remember a time we were all going around the circle and saying why we wanted to be a lay Marianist. You know, the typical buzzwords were community, family spirit, discipleship of equals, the sense of faith of the heart. And I came to the realization that I've had that my whole life and never put the word Marianist to it. I just thought it was my expression of the church, of Catholicism. And even now as vocation director, that's hard because I have a harder time expressing it as different than some people who came from a certain background and then came into the Marianist family. But I think also a big part is experiences of community. So whether that was living with the brothers, doing a live-in or joining, even just joining them for prayer and dinner. But I think a, a bigger one, especially was the University of Dayton Summer Appalachian Program, UDSAP, living with Brother Tom Pieper in a real intentional way. More importantly, getting to know people's stories from a different perspective, but then bringing them back to community. And we would pray together, we would eat together. We, well, we did everything together in a very intense way for nine weeks. I have since gone back and helped moderate or visit that program so that has been a, a big part of my life. So experiences of community. I mean, statistics show that people join for prayer life and community. That's why they're entering religious life. And for me, that's definitely true. The prayer. Yes. Could I pray as a layperson? Of course. Could I pray in the same way? Mm, I know myself. Not really. I get busy very easily. But when there are people at home waiting for me to pray, I think it really helps to have that community. A quick story that fits in with that is one of my first years of ministry, I was working with a high school and Marinus life was at seven o'clock every night. So I'd stay at the school from three to five or whatever after school. And most days I would head home for evening prayer and dinner. But on the days we had life, I would just stick around and... and Brother Francis Heyer, who's now our oldest Marianist, he was definitely the oldest in the community, said, when you aren't home, my prayer is not as good. It was not a shaming thing. It was a, no, I get something from you being at prayer, Mark. So if you need to skip, please remember that. <sighs> of course, how do I skip prayer after that? You know. So I think it was an important realization that community is such an important part of my life. You've both made references to your current ministries. I'm curious if each of you could talk a little bit about those different ministries that you're involved in. So I work as a teacher's aide and ESL tutor at Our Lady of the Rosary Catholic School here in Dayton and volunteered there just a few days a week last year during my second year of novitiate and then was blessed enough to be offered a job I love the kids. I love working with, uh, we're over 50% Hispanic at OLR. We also have a lot of African immigrant families. And despite what's happening throughout most Catholic schools these days, especially in the Midwest, where they're, they're shrinking, we are exploding in size. This year, we had to move the 7th and 8th grade to Chaminade Julian because we were literally out of classroom space. So now we're in a bit of a bottleneck situation where preschool through first grade, we have two classrooms with about 40 kids total, like 20 in each class. But then second grade through eighth grade is just one classroom. The immigrant families really trust us. They know that the kids are going to get a good education and get the social emotional help that they need. And you can see that in the community that's there. It's really beautiful. We have 
this interesting setup this year where we have an English speaking classroom and a Spanish speaking classroom for kindergarten. So I kind of just move between the two rooms throughout the day. And my Spanish improves every day because I have to speak Spanish for half the day at least. I joked with Clever Dennis, who's the novice director for the SM, that uh, no one joins to be the vocation director or joins to be the novice master. But they're very important roles and ministries within the life of the province. I'm more trained and have more experience in the campus ministry world, which is accompaniment in a different way. As vocation director, I'm accompanying people that might or might not join the Marianists. I tell people all the time that my job is to help people discern where God is calling them, not where Brother Mark is calling them. It's not that I want them to be a Marianist. It's that God is calling them to that and they respond generously. And sometimes that can be hard because you build relationships and then they decide to go in a different path. But there's also a real grace in it that I am hearing people's stories that they've never processed with anyone before about how God is calling them to respond. It's a real blessing to be part of that journey. So in many ways, it's it's a great opportunity. I've been in this role for six years. I don't know, one, two, or three, depending on how you count it, of them were during COVID. So that was a different time when people put their discernment on hold as well as their, their faith life. So it's, it's nice to be getting back into that as people are coming back and really discerning in an active and intentional way again. So I'm, I'm happy to accompany them in this ministry. You've both talked about some of the fruits, the joys, the things that have led you to vowed religious life. But I think the reality is there's all there's always going to be challenges to every vocation and and most dynamics of life. I'm curious if each of you could name a challenge in your vocation as a vowed religious. So whenever I do a vocations talk, I talk about the vows because they're something that makes us unique and distinguishes us. When I was in my senior year at the University of Dayton, I was doing what was called the semester of service. I was at uh, Ruskin Elementary School in East End Community Services and kind of doing full-time service in an area that was heavily populated by lay Marianists, the Nassau community, which has now become the same people as the Mission of Mary Cooperative. I was discerning very heavily, like kind of this new monasticism movement of Mission of Mary Nassau community. And I was thinking, well, these these vows, poverty, just obedience, they live them in this, maybe even in a more real way than some of the brothers, because they have to. Poverty, chastity, obedience really are not that different than an evangelical call that we are all called to live as in different ways, given our state of life. But the difference for me was permanence. I'm doing this for the rest of my life not making a commitment for a year, not making, and that was something that in the lay family, I didn't necessarily see. Yeah, there are communities that do make lifelong commitments, but it was not what I saw. And there's a stability that comes with the 200 years of tradition in the Marianist family, but the hundreds of years of religious life tradition that I found comfort in and was able to find something so much bigger than myself to be able to fit into something. So especially the vow of obedience, I never thought I would have been vocation director. My superior said, hey, we see these gifts in you. Are you willing? And I said, uh, what? Uh, yes, of course. That's not something that I would have seen in myself. That's that part of being something so much bigger than myself. Whenever I do a vocations talk, the main point that I get across, because I know that when I talk to a group of 30 high school or 20,000 high school kids, whatever it is, they're not all going to join. But I try and get a point across that with every decision, there are yeses and nos. So the vows are so much more than no money, no honey, no funny. There are some big yeses that come in with these vows of poverty, chastity, obedience. And I make the kids kind of tell me, well, what are the yeses? 
but those no's are hard too for me to have, to have, have children. I would love to have children. That's a big no for me that I had to give up in order to say yes to the vow of celibate chastity. And that's a challenge. So I think living these vows in a real and intentional way is hard. But if it weren't hard, it's kind of, well, what's the point? Why would I give up something that I don't want anyway? So that's, that's still a challenge. For me, a challenge that's also pretty personal for the sisters, because we're significantly smaller, people leaving is difficult. I've been here for only three and a half years, and I've seen two people leave, and I've lived with both of them. That was a different kind of grief to learn in religious life, that it's not quite the same as a family where people can just leave. And I think that's been both an affirmation and a challenge every time it's happened, because it forces you to look at yourself and and ask yourself, well, why am I still here? Both of the of the women who have left have really realized that their call was outside of religious life. Seeing them succeed and go on a different path that was equally as beautiful, but not religious life has also been affirming. But because we're significantly smaller, we feel the impact of that a lot more. I, th- I think I, I don't want to dim- diminish your challenge because I'm sure that is a challenge. The vocation director in me wants to really <laughs> echo that the, the formation is the best place to discern. Yeah. So the point of the novitiate is to discern. If you are truly discerning and discerning, especially within the context of the community and together, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's challenging. But that's the point of formation. One thing that I've been struck by is how people who might be discerning with either the Society of Mary or the Daughters of Mary Immaculate, or they may make temporary vows at some point and then do end up leaving. I've been struck by the people who still remain involved within the Marianist family. And I was thinking about that at the recent lay assembly because I noticed quite a few people at the lay assembly who had been at some point in formation with either the brothers or the sisters and then had left, but are still really committed to the charism and to the family overall. I just think there's a lot of things that that says about how the charism draws people in and how people find their place within it. I also was reflecting on how that says a lot about us as a family. I'm not going to act like that's easy for everyone (laughs) um, or that everyone has maybe come to terms with those dynamics amongst all the individual relationships. Still to see all those people gathered in the same place and passionate about the same charism um, and dynamics of the charism, I think is really powerful. Yeah, I think that that's a real gift to our our Marianist family. When I define charism, I say that it's a gift of the Holy Spirit given to a founder in response to a specific need. So that's like the original definition of charism that was given to Father Shamanad. And yet it's a gift of the Holy Spirit, which means it's alive and it's moving in each of us. And the best thing that you can do in the process of discernment is learn to recognize the charism in your own life and how it fits into the charism of a community. So how can you fit? And so we as Marianists, lay, vowed, religious, we recognize the charism in our lives. And so we're able to respond to that charism. And thankfully for us, we have a variety of ways to respond to that charism. We talked about a challenge. I'm curious if you could name the blessing of being vowed religious. I think what comes to mind for me is definitely just the sisterhood 
there's a, an organization for young sisters that meets and they have like a nationwide gathering every other year. And last summer in 2022, I got to go and it was actually held in San Antonio, which was pretty convenient because uh, we were already staying with the sisters that summer. And it was just kind of really nice, especially after the pandemic, to meet sisters from all walks of life. We're seeing more and more here a lot of sisters from Latin America and Mexico, a lot of sisters from parts of Africa and Asia. So just lots of different languages. And, and we just had a really good time. Just like the after hours dance parties, or we had a free evening, and we all went off and had dinner, and all the conversations that happen at lunch. So just getting to to put a lot of faces to names because we had seen each other like on Zoom but had never met them. And I think that was very affirming for where I was at the time in formation. There is this network of young sisters that you can rely on and, and laugh with. That definitely empowers me. There are multiple blessings, but I'm going to say a surprise blessing. To be in an intergenerational community, I think is an incredible blessing. It's terrifying and it's exciting. and It's, you know, so many different emotions all at once. Most people have lived with two or maybe three generations at a time, if you know, your parents and grandparents. But I've lived with, I don't know all the math, but four, maybe even five generations at one time to live with people, my parents, grandparents, great grandparents, and even great, great grandparents ages. But to be able to talk to them in such a way as equals, it's not just, a, oh, I'm passing down my information. I remember one of my first communities, we were talking about social media and I was helping one of the older brothers find his great nieces and nephews on Facebook because they had pictures they were posting. So we created an account. And then the next day we were at dinner and he was talking about his wooden bicycles or wooden tires on his bicycle. I forget if it was World War or Great Depression. There was a, a reason why they had bike, uh, wooden tires on their bikes. Things that you don't hear about in history books necessarily, but it was his lived experience. And so we were able to both cover each other's gifts and weaknesses together in community. But also imagine being a first year teacher to have years of experience to like, hey, how do I do classroom management? Ask one of the older brothers and ask one of the younger brothers. Oh, you use a reverse classroom or flip classroom, whatever, where you do videos and stuff and you can ask people who've been there before. It's such a cool thing. I'm curious if either of you might have any advice for people who are considering discerning, they're in the process of discernment or formation based on your experiences and things you've seen. Is there advice that you would give to others? Keep moving. Take a step. By not moving, you're making a choice, even if you think you're not. And it's all a series of small steps. I remember when I was discerning, I had printed up the formation steps and I put them on my desk because it was something that I found interesting and cool. But now as vocation director on, we have posters with the formation steps on them. As a reminder, then is seven years minimum between your first moving into community and making a lifelong commitment. So many people are terrified that they're making a commitment for the rest of their life. And I say, no, make a discernment on the next step, not the last step. Whether you're discerning becoming a contact, which means you're in communication with the vocation director and saying, hey, I'm open to Marianist Religious Life and open to you contacting me and inviting me to retreats. Or maybe you're discerning the aspirancy or pre where you live in the community with the brothers or the sisters for a year and see what the life is like. Discern that next step, not the last step. 
I would say, especially when it pertains to like really early discernment, I made the mistake of thinking I could do it by myself or thinking I had to do it by myself. And I think that's a really easy way to psych yourself out and look in the wrong places or not pray with the right things or focus on the wrong things. And so my early discernment was definitely this like roller coaster of being on this high of, oh my gosh, this is perfect for me. I resonate with everything and prayer life is going great. And then all of a sudden there would be a drop and I would be like, wait, no one told me this was an aspect of religious life. I have to rethink my whole life now. Even if that means something as small as checking in with a trusted friend about what do you think about this or how do you how do you see me and my gifts if I entered religious life. And then as if you move along, that could mean a spiritual director or becoming a contact. You should just talk to other people. What would be a hope that each of you has for the Society of Mary and a hope for the Daughters of Mary Immaculate? Thinking about how we can become more global and interconnected as a whole congregation. We talk about different ways we can focus on language learning and what it looks like to partner with our sisters around the world, both now and in the future. So my hope would be just how can we become more global, especially as, you know, as a United States province, and how can we just become better connected with our sisters around the world, because it really is going to be a team effort. I'd like to see a clarity and focus on mission and finding active steps to participate in that mission. And I don't mean like writing mission statements and vision plans and all that kind of stuff, but the charism is alive and therefore it's hard to nail down. And it's hard to explain this great Marianist charism that we have because it is so multifaceted. And I do this experiment where I ask all types of different Marianists, well, describe the charism. What's our mission? I always like to say that it's formation in faith through intentional Christian communities that are guided by Mary. Formation in faith has got to be the important thing that we do. So many times we're narrowed down to community or inclusivity or something like that. And I think it's got to be this formation in faith through intentional communities that are inclusive, that are guided and centered on how Mary made Christ present in the world. Currently, there's a poster series that the vocation office just put out, a variety of ministries, but with one mission. And so these variety of ministries could be anything, any type of work that we do. But I hope that we all focus on that one mission of making Christ present in the world. Formation of faith has got to be something important. Before we hear Brother Mark and Sister Rose's responses to our concluding question, I'd like to offer both of them a word of thanks for sharing their discernment stories and about their experience of being vowed religious within the Marianist family. And a word of thanks to you, our listener, for listening to this episode of Sharing Our Marianist Stories and for your continued support of the North American Center for Marianist Studies. Make sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts so that you'll be notified when we have future episodes released. And follow us on our social media accounts at This Is Nackness on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube so that you have access to our ongoing educational and formational content focused on our Marianist family history, and charism. And now to wrap up this episode of Sharing Our Marianist Story, we return with our final question. 
So we know that the Marianist founders corresponded via letter writing. If you were going to write one person a letter, dead or alive, and be guaranteed a response, who would you write to and why? Father Bill Berger, he was one of the first Marianists that I lived with in my Esperanza community. We moved in, at the, like he moved in a week before me. So we were both the new guys in the community. He was 40 years older than me. And it was a real joy to live with him, to hear his witness. I've been thinking about him a lot lately, thinking about how he lived his life and whatnot. He was not my official spiritual director, but had a lot of those similar relationships in the way that we talked. This is so difficult. I have like seven different people. <laughs> Probably Pope Francis, just because the more I learn about him, I feel like I get to know him as I've grown more into my faith and especially in religious life and gotten to know his writing and what he believes in. And also I could practice my Spanish and write to him in Spanish and he could respond and, and there would be kind of that level of intimacy. Plus, I just want like a piece of paper that has his signature on it that I can <laughs> have forever. 